Amen. Good morning again, and welcome to the house of the Lord. Those of you joining us online, good morning to you also. The book of Acts, chapter 25 this morning. We'll get the whole chapter, Lord willing. We'll stand and we'll take verses 2 and 3 to to set the pace for us. The book of Acts, Acts of the Apostles, Acts of the Holy Spirit, chapter 25. Please stand for the reading of God's word. The high priest and the chief men of the Jews informed him against Paul, and they petitioned him asking a favor against him, that he would summon him to Jerusalem while they lay in ambush along the road to kill him. Please be seated. Well, we'll fill in the blanks to that one. Conveniently Clueless is the title of this morning's message, and it's, uh, I think, important to point out the Bible doesn't pull any punches, but it's, it's all love. It is all God reaching out to sinners who don't deserve his love, don't deserve his heaven and his eternity. And yet, um, uh, he, he does want us to understand him, to seek him, to desire him. He desires us. And what you believe about God is important to God. Well, I think most of us can, Christians can understand that. But I don't know if we lose sight of this other part to that that what we believe about God is also important to Satan. It's, it's, you know, there's always, in this life, there's, there's going to be the opposition. As we just read, uh, they're trying to get the governor of Judea to bring Paul down to Jerusalem so they can kill him. Because what Paul believed about God was important to God, but it was also important to the enemies, those trying to kill him. Oddly, it is not important to many people. Many people just just think that they can dismiss God, ignore him, dictate the terms. And it can be done in a wide range of ways, very subtly. Sometimes it's just overtly done, but it's there. And that's where we come in. You can lead a horse to water, you can't make him drink. Well, if you salt his oats, maybe he'll be thirsty enough. However... We don't want to be disqualified to where we cannot be effective. And hopefully we're going to learn some of that from the tactics God employed through Paul. The difference between tactics and strategy is time. Tactics are right there happening at the moment, but strategy is the long-term plan that allows us to implement these tactics of faith. Mark chapter 8, Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi. I'll pause there. Where this story takes place in Acts 25 is Caesarea Maritima by the Mediterranean Sea. Where this quote that I'm bringing from Mark's gospel is Caesarea Philippi. That's further inland. So you don't get confused. Anyway, Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And on the road, he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? Well, because it's important to God. It seemed almost a random question, I suppose, to the apostles, but it remains the greatest question to a human being. Along with Pilate, who allowed the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, he makes a statement. He doesn't even know what he's saying, really, but it is a valuable statement. It's a question, actually. Matthew 27. What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? Well, the Jews responded. The violent Jews, the ones against Christ, they all said to him, let him be crucified. Let him be killed in a horrible way in public. That was their vote. But the question stands, what Then shall I do with Jesus, who is called a Christ? It is a question for every human being. To renounce God, all one need to do is ignore his son, his invitation, and as I've been trying to point out, his love. Now, this 25th chapter, if you've read it before, you may consider it a lackluster chapter. There may be other parts of the scripture that you have the same uh, feeling towards. But may I 
help you with that a little bit. It wasn't lackluster to those living it. There's nothing lackluster about Paul standing in front of Gentiles, not knowing what they were going to do to him. He knew he would get to Caesar, but at what price? Maybe you're going to take a flight somewhere. You know you're going to get to your destination. The flight's going to be long. But you do not know if it's going to be miserable or not. And it could be for well, a lot of reasons. Just, you know, who, who else is on the flight with you? And so just because he had this assurance from God that he would survive this tribunal, he did not have assurances from God that he, that he would be carefree. So, yeah, lackluster may be just reading it. Oh, ho-hum, he's in court and they're trying to decide. But there's a reality to this that belongs to all of us. We, too, can stand before a tribunal. We, too, can stand before individuals who think that they're judging us in their court. And so, to me, uh, being mindful of that, it elevates my interest in what's going on in a chapter that otherwise might not seem so. Because everything we know about Paul is, in with this, is within this framework. He wanted to share the gospel. He wanted to make Christians stronger. And he wanted to save unbelievers. Every move he made. Now he's not the only one. We just have more information about him this way. We have no right to suppose that Peter was somehow you know, just uh, indifferent about these things. He's working just as hard. And yet, within this framework of, of desiring to preach the gospel, earlier he had written to the Corinthians, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. His audience in this chapter remained deep in the joys of their sin. And sin can be a lot of fun. And anybody who tells you otherwise is either very ignorant or guilty of a cover-up. That's why the flesh has so much power. Because sin is a lot of fun. But so is holiness. So is righteousness. And the two are going to duke it out throughout your life. Isaiah says this. He said, let grace be shown to the wicked, yet he will not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he will deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of Yahweh. There's Isaiah saying, you know, there's some people you just can't be nice to. You cannot Share with them the gospel. They're, they're going to trample it. Jesus warned, you know, don't cast pearl before swine. They'll turn on you and trample you underfoot. This is sobriety for us. We Keep us sober. People, Peter said, be sober-minded. Because Christians have a tendency to be emotionally driven and lose their sobriety. In Matthew's gospel in the 22nd chapter, Jesus told a parable. He had the Pharisees in mind. And in this parable, he's talking about a wedding feast the king wanted to have for his son. And he invited people to this wedding feast. In the 22nd chapter of Matthew, verse 5, we read, But they made light of it and went their ways. How convenient. Clueless about the consequences, about all that was taking place. They just went to do the things they wanted to do and ignored what God was offering them. And by the time he closes the parable, he closes it with these words, For many are called, but few are chosen. Those called were those invited. And they weren't chosen because they didn't accept the invitation. These lessons are not supposed to fade. So if you're doing your devotional time and you're in the, the Gospels and you're done with the Gospels and then you go on to, say, uh, the book of Acts or maybe the Roman letter, you're not supposed to forget the things you received in the Gospels. We build on those things. We continue moving forward, upward. And because they, in Jesus' parable in Matthew 22, refused the greatest invitation ever given to man, they would incur a consequence that God has every right to implement. To die hostile against Jesus Christ is bad enough, but to die indifferent to God's greatest gift to sinners is also unpardonable. To be careless, to think that it doesn't matter. There was a game out, it probably still exists, and it's sort of, a, you poke a little fun at the game. The game's called uh, Bible Trivia. 
Well, there's nothing trivial about the Bible. That's the comeback. And I like doing those kind of things. I like bursting bubbles of some people. And judging by some of the laughter, some of you do too. Anyway, harmless, not looking to hurt anyone. It's done in love. <laughs> anyway, here, the people are trying, these people that Paul is standing in front of, they're trying to determine his fate. At least they think they are. He has harmed no one. His troubles weren't over. He thought he's been sitting in jail for two years. It's been two years since these accusers, these who want to get him to Jerusalem, uh, it's been two years since he's had to deal with them. You would think, he would probably have thought, okay, that's done now. No, it's not. Two years later, they're going to resurrect their hatred and still trying to get him because it is a big deal to the hater of humans, Satan. It is a big deal to him that we would have the audacity to not... Worship him instead of the true God. Verse 1 now. Now when Festus had come to the province after three days, he went up to Caesarea to Jerusalem. So Festus, he was made of better stuff than his predecessor, Felix. Felix was the governor. And he was, you know, Felix was, a, he was born a slave. And he became a ruler he never figured out leadership. He never figured out decency. There are some people, they just, you know, you hold a door open for somebody going into a store, and some people won't even say thank you. And you don't, you read it registers. You say, oh, look at that. That's why I pay attention to what car they drove up in. Waiting for them when they come out. No, it's, don't do that. Anyway, coming back to this, Festus, he, unlike Felix, was more educated, had more class than, than Felix. He was a man of nobility, and yet he's still untrustworthy. We'll find out in verse 9 where he tries to do the Jews a favor. Never mind uh, justice. He wanted to, as a, to advance his political position. He only served two years, and he died while he was in office. There will be two more governors, and then Rome will uh, destroy Jerusalem because of the uprising of the Jews. As he was ruler, he spent most of his time dealing with robbers and those assassins, the Sicarii, that never went away. Well, after three days, he goes up to Caesarea to Jerusalem. One of the first things he does as governor is to travel 70-some miles to Jerusalem to meet with the Jewish leaders. It was uh, a gesture of respect, and it was wise on his part to do this especially because that generation of Jews had a reputation for violence, fanaticism, and being virtually ungovernable. And, and he knew that. They all knew that. And they're trying to lessen the tensions by establishing uh, friendships. And again, a wise move, verse 2. So we know one of the characters that we'll be dealing with in chapter 25 and into chapter 26. Then, <coughs> pardon me, then the high priest and the chief men of the Jews informed him against Paul, and they petitioned him. We'll stop midway of the sentence. Uh, so again, two years later, the hatred for Paul still burned hot. They're still determined to kill him first chance they get. But they can't get to him because Rome is protecting Paul, and they're no match for, for Rome's troops. So they're going to try to do it politically, or at least to set it up that way. Uh, this tells us that while Paul was jailed for two years, his faith and his ministry was not. These men, with all their wealth and all their clout, are still concerned about one Christian, a single Christian. They did not forget, because Paul would not let them forget. Oh God, that I could have such or that I could make such an impact on my generation as Paul made just here in Jerusalem where they're still angry with him. They're still hating him because they could not refute him. They could not beat him in an exchange of ideas through reason. They thought they owned him. And this is kind of a common practice when you're one of a group and you leave that group, sometimes they think they own you. You have no right to leave. In chapter 22, we read Paul said, I persecuted, persecuted this way to the death. I tried to destroy Christianity. He was one of them. Traitors receive a double hatred. 
And that's how they viewed him. Bitterness engulfed these religious people. And it will engulf us if we're not careful. Later, Paul would write in the Hebrew letter, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Don't trivialize any of that. Bitterness is serious stuff. It's poison. And if you can't forgive, you've got a problem. Uh, this is, uh, uh, you know, forgiveness and restore, restoring, not necessarily the same thing. But to become bitter and resentful in Christ, the bad combination. Even today, there are, well, there is a particular religion especially where you're not allowed to opt out. They'll kill you for leaving their religion. So it's not anything new. We see it here. For Paul, this problem, as I mentioned, wasn't going away. Well, that's helpful for me as a Christian because... I want troubles to be settled and gone. It doesn't always work out that way. I have to buckle up for the long term. And he's buckled up for it. Uh, you know, probably when we finish Acts, we're going to go into the, the, the jail letters, Ephesians, uh, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, because we get to see that even though he was in the custody of Rome, he was not in the custody of Satan. He was a prisoner of Jesus Christ and never a prisoner of Rome. And the, the amount of work that he accomplished with that attitude of, I'm going to preach Christ anyway. I'm going to strengthen believers and I'm going to reach the lost. And he did both. And that's why we want to learn from a man such as this. Well, again, they did not want him to opt out. They were doubly insulted by him. Verse 3. Asking a favor of him, pardon me, against him. Now, the the personal pronouns in verse 3 are all for Paul. Asking a favor against him that he, well, that pronoun is Festus, would summon him to Jerusalem, and they lay in ambush along the road to kill him. So I probably better read, asking a favor of Paul that Festus would summon Paul to Jerusalem while they lay in ambush along the road to kill Paul. There's a hymn for you, three of them. Matthew 16, 16, Jesus said to them, to his disciples, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And these are, this is, these are the ones that want to kill Paul. Paul warned his disciples. Yeah, they're into religion. They walk around with their robes. They make their public prayers. But they are corrupt. That's what the leaven. Leaven means corruption in the New Testament. They are corrupt. Harry Ironside, a pastor of many decades ago here in this country, said, What a corrupt thing religion is when it leaves God out. That's what we're looking at. They have their religion. They just don't have God. They have no problem with doing, making underhanded deals, with violating their own commandments. The whole trial of Paul was illegal. It was against the will of their God. But that didn't matter. They wanted to murder Paul. And that's what it would have been. They murdered Stephen, again, like Paul, because they could not debunk the truth. And they'll murder you and I. Well, you and me. If we're not careful and they get the chance. Because they cannot debunk the truth. So again, what you believe about God is important to God. And it is also important to Satan. Satan, therefore, energizes people to do harm to those of the faith. And you know he can be very reckless with this. He can have one religion fight another religion and both those religions be false. He is a hateful beast. And Antichrist, it is not by accident that Christ calls him the beast. He's a human being that behaves like an animal. And this is the work of the devil. We're not supposed to behave like animals in that sense. God's truth, it's a separating force. And if you are a Christian, you have to come to understand that right in the early phases. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Holiness 
It only comes by separating truth from lies. It just you, you cannot have the two and say, this is holiness. They don't reconcile with each other. And the end of God's truth, and I think this is important, and I hope your teens are keeping up. I hope you can keep up with this. And what you can't, what you can't keep up with, grab what you can. You're not going to hear this outside of the churches, uh, anointed churches. Churches with people who love the Lord and want, want to follow his word. You're not going to get this elsewhere. And don't let it be wasted on you. The end of wisdom, God's truth. Let me rephrase it. The end of tr- God's truth. It is not wisdom. It has wisdom in it. But the end goal is not to make you wise. That's part of it. The goal of the world, of philosophers, uh, that is, they want this wisdom. They want to know more. But the goal of God's truth is holiness. Again, wisdom is a part of that. There are other things, other virtues that are part of that. But essentially, purity before God. A cleansed relationship. When The Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us. It makes us clean. It purifies us. It makes us holy in that sense before God. There are levels of holiness. There's the holiness of God, which is far beyond what we'll ever have. And then there is a holiness that is extended to us by being touched by God. And uh, the world does not understand these things. We are supposed to move in and out amongst them, knowing this, taking any chance we can to explain it. The value of being right with God. And holiness will cost my sinful nature. My sinful nature nature will never settle for it. It's not interested in being pure and holy. It wants to corrupt and defile to leaven anything it can. This is, a, this is basic Christianity. None of what I'm saying is, you know, if we were doing an end-time study on, from Revelation, it would be more advanced stuff, perhaps, you'd, requiring a more thorough knowledge of the prophets in the Old Testament to understand what was going on, going on in the New and ultimately in history, history future. But this is basic Christianity so far that I'm, I'm, I'm sharing. Verse 4, But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea, and that he himself was going there shortly. Verse verse 5, Therefore he said, Let those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse this man to see if there is any fault in him. So he is beginning as governor. He's going to go by the book. He's traveled from Caesarea by the Mediterranean Sea to Jerusalem to meet with the elders. They take the opportunity to say, Let's kill Paul and, and trying to get him to bring Paul from Caesarea to Jerusalem. And at some point, they can assassinate him. Festus, whether he knows the history of the case or not, uh, really not important at this point. What he is doing is saying, no, the book says we need to try him in Caesarea. That's where he's been sent. You guys come up. And that's the Lord, of course, looking out for Paul. Verse 6, And when he had remained among them more than ten days, he went down to Caesarea, And the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought. Now, you've got to love Luke as a Gentile. He's the author of the book of Acts. And following the the pattern of the holy or the righteous Jews, they, they always refer to Jerusalem as up. No matter where you're coming from. If you were to parachute into Jerusalem, you were going up into Jerusalem. And so Caesarea is to the north. And so he, you, you would think that he, they went up to Caesarea. But he says, uh, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem... Uh, well, where am I? I? lost my spot here. Verse 10. Give me a second. I'm a pro. I can do this. And when he had come to the Jews, uh, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem... So there you see it. The Jerusalem, they're coming down from Jerusalem. Or geographically, Jerusalem was actually... Um, Uh, lower than Caesarea. So anyway, I hope I made that point without confusing you too much. If you would just listen for two or three hours, I could slow down. But there's just too many points to make. So, 
they're going back to, to Caesarea, where Festus has all this authority. Verse 7, when he, came, uh, when he had come, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood above and laid many serious complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. Well, again, Satan, he wants Paul dead because he's so effective. Again, had he killed Paul, we wouldn't have those jail letters that are so valuable. They're, they're, those are critical letters, Colossians for doctrine. I mean, if more Christians would read and understand the Colossian letter, they would be less susceptible to all the Johnny-come-latelys that want to get into their bank accounts and, and just give them all sorts of weirdness and uh, the Ephesian letters. Any, all Christians should be familiar with the Ephesian letter. Anyway, um, uh, here we are. Spiritually, they were conveniently clueless, as the title of this morning's message states, because they wanted what they wanted and not what God wanted. And that's how you become clueless before God. It is uh, voluntary. You in, in, many, in this case, it is, for sure. The antidote for being exposed to the truth and not dismissing it is honesty. To get a person to honesty, honestly hear what the gospel is, what it is saying. This is, again, back to Stephen. Stephen laid it out to them. They could not refute a word that he was saying, but they were not honest with themselves because they did not want him to be right. We come across that as Christians. We come across people who don't want to hear it because they do not want Jesus to be right. We also come across another brand of insanity in our society, the liberalism that has been turned loose by Satan, which uh, goes by... I don't care what the truth is. I'm more interested in what the truth should be. That's dangerous stuff. It's like an alternate universe. And we are living through, you know, once someone comes along and says, well, you know, I don't think there's any difference between a male and a female. you got a big problem already. You have a, per a person that would suggest such a thing is just indicated that Satan is in there. Give you another example. What if we? What if you went? Uh, you were invited by a well-known hunter to his log cabin out somewhere in the wilderness, and you had dinner, and you're sitting around, and you're discussing things later, and then he says to you, "You know, I really don't find a problem with cannibalism." <laughs> you know, just for him to say that would just okay. We got a big problem here, and this is how our society is right now. Just for them to suggest some of the things they're trying to push forward and succeeding in many circles is an indication that Satan has them completely and conveniently clueless and they want it that way. But in those numbers, there are those who we can still reach. There are still brands in the fire that we can pluck from the burning. We just don't know who they are. So we have to be ready. We have to be serious about our faith. Uh, you know, it's very hard to preach to somebody who's living a life of sin, loving that life of sin, but they want the gospel too. And the gospel makes demands on their life. It tells you you've got to make a choice. You can't stand in front of God and play silly games with him and expect him to, to yuck it up with you. And so it is war, and a very serious war. I would add, no matter how much you learn from the scripture, if you have not love, your problem. You cannot lose sight of our desire to want for others what we would want for ourselves. Uh, verse 8, while he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I offended in anything at all. So Paul rebuffs the false charges. Luke just inserts that. Paul says, yeah, no, that they're wrong. Verse 5, But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? So Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat, verse 10, where I ought to be judged. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you very well know. 
Well, there's Festus. He, he made a mistake there. It was a character flaw. He, he wanted to be done with this. Uh, justice and integrity just went out the window. And his attempt to, okay, hey, Paul, how about you just go to Jerusalem? I just want to be done with this. And, and get some, you know, gain favor of the Jews in the process. Paul, Paul, he really lays it out. He sets Festus in his place. And he tells them, I'm not willing to go. Paul knows they're going to kill him if they got a chance, if, he, if that happened. And he knew that Festus was throwing him to the dogs. And he says some pretty strong things. He says, I stand before Caesar's judgment seat, where I ought to be judged. Festus knew that. Paul is uh, going to hit him a little bit more. Verse 11. For I am an offense, for if I am, for if I am an offender or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. But if there is nothing in these things which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. Well, that abruptly ended the hearing when he said, no one can deliver me to them. Festus knew that. Now, Festus had to sort out in his head, do I want to take the risk of doing wrong according to Roman law and someone tattling on me and it getting back to Caesar. And he's going he's gonna to say, I'm not going to take that. Rome had that velvet glove and underneath that velvet, beneath that velvet glove was an iron fist and he knew it. Verse 12, Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, you have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. So he goes to his lawyers and he says, well, what do you think, boys? And they said, if Rome finds out you messed with a Roman citizen's rights, they will kill you. And uh, that settled it. Verse 13. After some days, King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea to greet Festus. Okay. Now we have, uh, uh, we, we, this is the upper crust of the ruling class in Judea. Uh, this Agrippa, his father, killed James the Apostle, the brother of John the Apostle, and then they tried to kill Peter the Apostle, and the Lord intervened. His grandfather, Herod the Great, of course, killed the little boys of Bethlehem, trying to kill Christ, if he, trying to find Christ and kill him. And so this Agrippa, incidentally his uncle, had John the Baptist beheaded. So the, the Herods, they were very much all around the beginning of the gospel of Christ. The gospel was born in a violent environment, not only from the religious Jews that wanted no parts of Christ, but also the, uh, the government under Rome uh, through the Herods. Now, Bernice, who is mentioned here in verse 13, she's not Agrippa's wife. She is his sister slash consort. There's an incestuous relationship between these two. And it was the talk of Rome, where Agrippa grew up, incidentally, where he learned so many things about the world. See, these are the people Paul's got to deal with. These, this, in this world that they lived in, they had corrupt politicians just like we do now. And at no point did Paul say, well, these people are really bad. There's nothing I can do. And we should, he did not do that. He, he preached the gospel when he could. And we need to learn. Same thing. When we see things falling apart. We're not owed the Constitution from God's perspective. We are here to preach whether it is trampled or not. And uh, when we get that understanding, we get courage with it. When you don't, you, you know, you can't serve two masters. You're trying to hold on to one thing. Like, you know, you got to just embrace the Lord. Well, Bernice, for a while, she became the mistress of Emperor Vespasian. And then his son, Titus. And Titus will be the general who, who just wipes out Jerusalem. So, you see here, well, then she'll come back to her brother, Agrippa. She was a walking scandal, living in unnameable sin, and conscience-free. Clueless, conveniently so, about the consequences of this lifestyle before a righteous God. 
These were the people in political power in Paul's world. These are the people who think that they are judging Paul. But it's actually the other way around. Because the next chapter, he's going to lay out the gospel to them, and they will find out they're being judged, just like Felix did. And he reasoned with Felix about righteousness and self-control and judgment to come. And Felix was bothered by that for a while. And then conveniently, he dismissed it all. He flushed it. Verse 14. When they had been there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a certain man left a prisoner by Felix, about whom the chief priest and the elders of the Jews informed me when I was in Jerusalem asking for a judgment against him. So you've got three entities here. You have the, the religious Jews from Jerusalem. You have uh, Festus, the Roman governor assigned to that region. And you have Agrippa, who is a, uh, has also governs part of that region, and he's a local, even though he's raised in Rome. He, his family, the Herods, are actually Edomites. And uh, so you, you've got these three groups. Well, Festus says, I need a little advice from you guys. These, you know, you're, this is your region. I'm only here for a few years and gone. You live here. Uh, and that's what he's, he's going to ask his, his advice. Festus is asking Agrippa advice so that he can judge more accurately the case between the Jews charging Paul and Paul. Now, he's also blaming Felix for creating this problem, which is accurate. Uh, uh, But Paul has declared his rights. Now, at this point, I ask myself, what are the teens getting out of all this? Are you getting anything? Or are you just like, I just can't wait till we get out of here and I can just text the person next to me. (laughs) You have to understand, you were born into a Christian home. God knew that. God is part of that, rules over that. You were born into a Christian home with that spiritual opportunity to do something with it. You're not here in this church right now by accident. There are other Christian teens and other Bible-teaching churches sitting this morning listening to sermons, verse-by-verse sermons in some cases. They're not there by accident either. You're either going to blow it or you're going to use it. Uh, Do you not want to be challenged? Do you want to just remain carnal? Because you can do that. Or you can thank God that uh, you have parents that will bring you to a church that wants to preach the word that there are other Christians that want to hear it, and that there's a pastor that's going to preach it to you. You can thank God that you have a pastor that doesn't treat you like a second-class citizen. And, uh, you know, dismissing what's important to you. What's important to you is important to us, because what's important to you might be wrong. And though you may think, you may think that, you know, you are not understood, you are well understood. We are, we've been here a long time compared to you. And God has been here longer, of course. And we know the drill. And we're trying to transfer it to you. But what we need to be successful with this is that you submit. You submit to what is right. You have enough evidence to know how to do that. And people feed you. They clothe you. They love you. They drive you all over town. Uh, The only complaint I would have against some of you parents is that you get your kids involved in soccer instead of baseball. But... (laughs) Oh, that's a, come on, God's on my side with that. <laughs> Please don't bring up soccer to me later. <laughs> don't try to convert me. Anyway, back to, and it's, it's not a sin to like soccer, I think. Uh, coming, coming back to this, uh, y- you, you know, the, I guess the best example I can use is when I went to boot camp, I wanted those drill instructors to be everything they were supposed to be. I wanted them to be hard on me. I wanted them to yell at me when they needed to. I wanted, I didn't want them to hurt me, but I wanted them to hurt me. I didn't want them to seriously <laughs> hospitalize me or more. And uh, so I surrendered. And, and uh, you know, there was a, a saying back then, the body and spirit, I surrendered whole to harsh instructors and received the soul. Well, that's not, that doesn't fly well for us in Christianity, except to say the idea of submission 
to those who are in a position to bless you is beneficial to you. Submit to it. And I liked, I liked that I was not asked one time what my opinion was. I lived on a nice island, Paris Island. And they never cared what I thought. They were only interested in me complying and doing what I was told. And because I did, I did well. And that's a principle of life that applies to our youth. Your flesh is not going to like that, but it doesn't have to win. You can, you can beat, beat the flesh. And I know this because I know teens who get it right. I know teens who are adults, who were children or, or teens in your place, and now they're adults and they're serving the Lord. They've gotten it right. There's no guarantee that you're going to fail or succeed. You have a say-so in that matter. Well, coming back to this uh, again, there is a difference between making people happy and reaching them with Christ. And if you want to just make them happy and not reach them with Christ, then you reap what you sow. Verse 16. Now, I hope I don't sound angry. I'm I'm not. I'm not angry. (laughs) But I'm unapologetic. I stand by every word I said, and, uh, but I mean it in, in love. Um, verse 16. To them I answered. Again, teens, keep up with me. He's in trial. This, his future is in someone else's hands. To them I answered. It is not the custom of the Romans to deliver any man to destruction before the accused meets the accusers face to face, and has opportunity to answer for himself concerning the charge against him. Okay, pause with me again. Teens, if you're listening, or just some adults, you're listening, do we have to hear all of this? Yes, I'll tell you why. Because we have people here that love God's word so much that if I skip a verse, they'll call me out on it. You, You skip the verse. We don't want you to skip a verse. Even if we don't like or know what's happening, we want every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God when we are in the house of God. And so we don't skip the, the verses, except some verses in Song of Solomon and Ezekiel. We have Some of those pretty tough. But coming back to this, verse 17, Therefore, when they had come together without any delay, the next day I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought in. Verse 18, when the accusers stood up, they brought no accusation against him of such things as I supposed, but had some, suge- some questions against him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who died, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. So he's talking with Agrippa, he's saying, okay, they've got religious charges against him. And Paul is, you know, disagreeing with this, with, with, the, with their charges. Um, Paul's... Again, the whole thing is because Paul preached the resurrection of Christ, which includes the life of Christ. Here they come in with all of their robes and their wealth when, they, when they're going to call Paul in. Well, I'll come back to that. I want to reference 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, because this is how Paul lived. But we preached Christ. We preached Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, foolishness. And so what he's saying, there are two people on earth, Jews and Greeks. And some of them are going to take the gospel and get tripped up over it, call it foolish. But we're going to preach Christ anyway. Because in that number of Jews and Gentiles, there will be people saved. And that is exactly what it is all about. It was that way in the, in the days of Paul and the apostles. It is that way now. There will be those who say, I can't handle that, don't like it, don't want it. There will be those that say, I think it's silly. And there will be those that will come to the cross of Christ and be saved and become a child of the Lord. Verse 20, and because I was uncertain of such questions, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged concerning these matters. No, really you asked because you wanted to be rid of Paul. But good one anyway there, Festus. Verse 21, but when Paul Appealed to be reserved for the decision of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept till I could send him to Caesar. So he keeps him under 
protective custody. Augustus there is Caesar. It means the worshipped one because they worshipped their emperor Caesar, which got the church in trouble later because they demanded Christians also worship him. And when the Christians stood firm, the persecution began. Uh, The Jews pretty much got a pass on that one. But the Christians, once the Gentiles figured out the Christians and the Jews were not the same thing, uh, they began to persecute the Christians more. Verse 22. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself tomorrow. He said, you shall hear him. So without even, even trying, Paul had achieved celebrity status even amongst these decadent rulers Verse uh, 23, so the next day when Agrippa and Bernice had come with great pomp and they had entered the auditorium with the commanders and the prominent men of the city at, at uh, Festus' command, Paul was brought in. Contrast the appearances. Here they come in with their robes and their splendor and all the commanders with them. This is what Paul said he heard people were saying about him. Second Corinthians 10.10. 10. His bodily presence is weak. In other words, he's puny. That's his physical appearance. The man, the man was just an incredible uh, servant, and, 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 and that's all the carnal ones could, could see, was his outside appearance. And uh, they could not hold, as the proverb goes, they could not hold a candle to Paul. Uh, it would be like holding a candle to the sun. Uh, they contribute nothing to the man. Anyhow, uh, we'll get what's going to happen next session, but this is the beginning. Today, you can go to Jerusalem, and, uh, and not Jerusalem, Caesarea. You can go to Jerusalem, too. You go to Caesarea. They have uh, the, the, um, the auditorium. It's there. You can stand right where Paul was standing. Uh, it is uh, an, it's a wonderful part of the experience in going to Israel. Um, verse 24, And Festus said, King Agrippa, And all the men who are here present with us, you see this man about whom the whole assembly of the Jews petitioned me, both at Jerusalem and here, crying out that he was not fit to live any longer. Imagine if there were a group of people crying out for your death. This is what Paul had to live with. Um, His case was a serious matter to Rome because of the amount of unrest surrounding it. Verse 25 But when I found that he had committed nothing deserving of death and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I decided to send him. I should have maybe named as an alternate title, Hot Potato, because that's what Paul is to these guys. Verse 26, I have nothing certain to write to my Lord concerning him. Therefore, I have brought him out before you, and especially you, King Agrippa, So that after the examination has taken place, I may have something to write. I don't even know what to charge him with. I can't send him to Caesar. It's like, he's just here. Uh, And so this is a mess. It's like, Agrippa's like, I don't know what to do with this guy. Maybe you can help me. I'm a little desperate here. Uh, Verse 27 now. For it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not to specify the charges against him. Yeah, to say it lightly, not only does it seem unreasonable to your head, because the Caesars did not fool around, it seems unreasonable to me that people make up things about God and refuse the truth. I see no problem with just making up things about God. The next time someone says to you, just out of nowhere, I think God is. I hope you don't let up on them. We don't catch and release as Christians. When we make our point, We're not saying, I'm sorry about that. The point stands. How can you just sit there and say, or stand, whatever posture or position you're in, how can you say, I think God is, just because you made it up? Well, the field of ministry right there for us. Let's pray. Our Father, I would not want to be in Paul's position on one hand, People trying to kill me because I love you and worship you. But on the other hand, what a wonderful testimony. What a wonderful opportunity to have people in front of you 
who are going to hear a gospel they've never heard before. Uh, May we come to these lessons from Scripture and understand what to take away from these lessons. What applies to us? What will hurt the enemy and what will help sinners? We thank you for your word. As you have been listening, perhaps you've never opened your heart to Christ. You've been living your own way. Or maybe, maybe your understanding of Jesus Christ comes from some unauthorized source. Or maybe you just don't get it. But listening to the scriptures read, perhaps even sensing something different about hearing God's word read, you... um, You'd like to get right with him. You would like to have your sins, the penalty for your sins, taken away. Because the penalty for sin is eternal separation from God. It is eternal death. You will retain your consciousness, your awareness, but it will be misery. That is judgment. On the other side of that, is salvation, the glories of heaven, the paradise that awaits those who submit to the God of truth. If you would like to open your heart and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, then say this prayer with me, and God will receive you if you make it in earnest. You say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I break your commandments. I ask you to forgive me. I come to you. There's no one else who died for me on a cross. There's no one else who rose again from the dead to demonstrate his power and authority over sin. There is no other gospel but the one that comes from our Bibles. I ask you to receive me and be from this day forward not only the Savior of my soul, but the Lord over my life, and I give my life to you. Now, Father, if anyone has made this prayer this morning, may they not back down from it, May they make their confession known with joy. In Jesus' name, amen.